Vince, and this is Applying God's Word, a Bible teaching ministry from the Word of God. This is episode 33, titled, The Holy Spirit and the Sin of Unbelief. Our salvation begins with us being brought to a profound sense that we need a Savior. The Holy Spirit is the one who brings us to this realization of our need. Jesus tells us this about the Holy Spirit in John chapter 16, verses 8 through 11. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment, about sin because people do not believe in me, about righteousness because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer, and about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. The Holy Spirit had come just as Jesus has promised, and when he came, he convicted the world of sin through Peter's message. He pierced their heart with a sense of their awful guilt in the rejection of their Lord and their Christ. In Acts 2, verses 36 to 41, we read, Therefore let all Israel be assured of this, God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words he warned them, and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Now, notice which sin it is that the Holy Spirit convinces men. It's the sin of unbelief in Jesus Christ. Of sin, because they do not believe in me, says Jesus in verse 9. Not the sin of stealing, not the sin of drunkenness, not the sin of adultery, not even the sin of murder, but the sin of unbelief in Jesus Christ. The one thing that the eternal God demands of men is that they believe on him whom he has sent. In John 6, verses 28 to 29, we read, They asked him, What must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. Additionally, we read in John chapter 3, verse 18, Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. So the one sin that reveals men's rebellion against God and daring defiance of him is the sin of not believing in Jesus Christ. And this is the one sin that the Holy Spirit puts to the front and emphasizes and of which he convicts men and women. This was the sin of which he convicted the 3,000 on the day of Pentecost. 
Now let's pause for a moment. Belief in Jesus is not that we just know of him or what he did or his claims. The words in Jesus and on Jesus go much deeper. They mean to rest your faith and trust in him and on him lie all your security, both in this world and the world to come. So let me ask you right now to consider seriously from your heart of what you truly have your faith and trust in and on what lies your security. Is it your title, your money, your ability and position in this world? Or maybe something else. Is all that stuff all minor, even garbage, when compared to the depth and reality of your relationship in Jesus Christ, where your faith and trust and security truly rest on? Paul makes a statement in Philippians 3, verses 7 and 8, which is a good test for all of us to consider before answering where our faith and trust lie. He says, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. Have you yourself said this? Paul could not say this before his conversion, which I'll highlight in a moment. Okay, so Peter was the first human instrument the Holy Spirit used to convict the 3,000 from their sin of unbelief. Doubtless, there were many other sins in the lives of the 3,000, but the one point that the Holy Spirit brought to the front through the Apostle Peter was that the one whom they had rejected was their Lord and Christ. You can read Peter's message in Acts 2, verses 22 to 36. And when they heard this, namely, that he whom they had rejected was Lord and Christ, they were cut in their hearts. This is the sin of which the Holy Spirit still convinces men and women today. There is a wide difference among people in regard to a variety of sin, but the thief who rejects Christ and the honest person who rejects Christ are alike condemned at the great point of what they do with God's Son, and this is the point that the Holy Spirit presses home. The sin of unbelief is the most difficult of all sins of which to convince men. The average unbeliever does not look upon unbelief as a sin. Many unbelievers look at their unbelief as a mark of intellectual superiority. They'll toss their head and say, I'm an agnostic, or I'm a skeptic, or I'm not a religious person, and assumes an air of superiority on that account. When the Holy Spirit touches a man's heart, he no longer looks upon unbelief as a mark of intellectual superiority. He sees it as the most daring, decisive, and damning of all sins, and is overwhelmed with the sense of his awful guilt, in that he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. If the Apostle Peter had spoken the same words the day before Pentecost, no such results will have followed. But now Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. 
the Holy Spirit took Peter and his words and convicted his hearers. The Holy Spirit is the only one who can convince men of sin. The natural heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And there is nothing in which the inbred deceitfulness of our hearts comes out more clearly than in our own estimation of ourselves. The longer you study human nature, the more clearly you see how hopeless the task is of convincing men and women of sin. We cannot do it, nor has God left it for us to do. He has put this work into the hands of the Holy Spirit. One of the worst mistakes we can make alone in our efforts to bring people to Christ is to try to convince them of sin in any power of our own, no matter how clear we speak, no matter how well we explain the scriptures. But while we cannot convince men and women of sin on our own, there is one who can. The Holy Spirit can convince the most hardened and blinded person of sin. He can change men and women from utter carelessness and indifference to a place where they are overwhelmed with a sense of their need of a Savior. While it is the Holy Spirit who convinces men of sin, He does it through us. This comes out very clearly in the context of what Jesus says in John 16, verses 7 and 8. But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the Advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. Here our Lord Jesus sends the Holy Spirit to us, to believers. And when he comes to us believers through us to whom he has come, he convinces the world. On the day of Pentecost, it was the Holy Spirit who convinced the 3,000 of sin. But the Holy Spirit came to the group of believers, and through them, namely Peter, he convinced the outside world. Every conversion recorded in the Acts of the Apostles was through the agency of men or women already saved. Take, for example, the conversion of Saul of Tarsus. If there ever was a miraculous conversion, it was that. The glorified Jesus appeared visibly to Saul on his way to Damascus, but before Saul could come out clearly into the light as a saved man, the human instrument was brought in. Saul, prostrate on the ground, cried to the risen Lord, asking what he must do. And the Lord told him to go to Damascus, and there he would be told what he must do. Then Ananias was brought in to the scene as the human instrument through whom the Holy Spirit would do his work. Now let's read Acts chapter 9, verses 17 through 19. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Paul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, 
he regained his strength. Now take the case of Cornelius. Here again was a most remarkable conversion. In Acts 11, 13-14, an angel appeared to Cornelius, but the angel did not tell Cornelius what he had to do to be saved. The angel instead said to Cornelius, Send men to Joppa and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who shall tell you words whereby you and your house shall be saved. So when we go through the record of the conversions in the book of Acts, we will see they were all affected, as they still are now, through the human instrument the Holy Spirit uses to convict men and women of the sin of unbelief. But the Holy Spirit not only convicts of sin, he convicts in respect of righteousness and judgment. We'll study that next time.